Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. On today's episode, I am joined by my buddy John Barklow of Sika Gear. John has dedicated his life to survival from backcountry hunting to training Navy Special Warfare in Kodiak, Alaska, and most recently, the big game product manager for Sika Gear. We talk about altitude, risk mitigation, navigating terrain, survival skills, backcountry safety, and how to dial your system and know how to use it. So this episode is brought to you by Onyx, which is the premier GPS hunting app that turns your phone into a working GPS. This time of year, I'm scouring the maps on the desktop version of the app to look for areas to scout and hunt for mountain bucks, as well as potential hunting locations for my annual Western hunt. The new 3D feature makes it convenient to look for glassing locations and ways of travel. If you want to check out the Onyx hunt app for yourself, Head over to onyxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW to save 20%. Tethered is a company that is founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. They just recently dropped the new Phantom XL saddle system, which is made for some of you bigger guys and girls or maybe some, some of you that have a little more junk in the trunk than others. And so they have a whole bunch of different items that you can check out and products over on their website at tetherednation.com. Maven is building the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct consumer business model. They want to create the best optics for the job, period. Their products are back with a lifetime no-fault warranty and an incredible customer experience. Maven released the new RS5 24 by 50 millimeters single focal plane rifle scope built for those who require the precision of that long range dialing with a fine reticle benefits that you find in the second focal plane. You can use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. And Spartan Forge, when you require of an accurate forecast of the best hunting days and the best hunting spots to save time on scouting and focus on actually executing the hunts. The Spartan Forge Outfitter utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement, including GPS data, 30 years of weather, academic and state research, and much more. They're using science rather than someone's opinion to figure out the movement for your specific hunting area. You can use the code East Meets West to save 25% off of the outfitter at SpartanForge.ai. For this week's Mountain Buck Story of the Week, this story comes from Braden Porter. And Braden has said, On opening day of the 2020 rifle season in Pennsylvania, I shot my first buck ever. Around 9 a.m., it was getting slow, and I heard another hunter shoot a few shots. A deer came running right towards me, and stopped at 110 yards in my shooting lane. I shot him with my 308 and dropped him within 25 yards. And if you want to see this photo, head over to East Meets West Hunt on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook and check it out. Braden is a young hunter and killed his first buck and is super proud of it, as he should be. It's a beautiful Pennsylvania eight-pointer and uh, just 
just awesome that he was able to, to get it done last year. And sounds like he's definitely hooked going forward. Um, as I had mentioned last week, so on August 14th, I will be at a tethered teach and train event um, at Bucks and Bows Archery, which was the, the archery shop where I kind of got everything started here and, and down by Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I'll be there with John Eberhart. We will be there doing some, you know, teaching people on using saddles, showing gear. I'm going to be selling my apparel there, everything else. Um, definitely come down and check it out. 10 to 2 on August, Saturday, August 14th. So hope to, hope to see some of you there if you're local to the, the Pittsburgh area. And I do have my new, the most recent hat that I launched over on the website, the Woodlands patch hat. And this hat, uh, I just, you know, like I said, I just dropped it last week there on the website and it's doing really well. Seems to be pretty popular already from people, you know, buying that. Hopefully I, I, well, I guess it'd be a good thing if I ran out of stock, but, um, it's been so tough to get hats in, um, during, well, during COVID, after COVID, during COVID again, um, it just seems like it's so difficult to get things, products in and keep them in stock, but have those in. And I should have the, the, the blaze orange mountain bucks hats in back in stock again here soon. I believe they're finished and I, I should see them on my door any day here. I'm, I'm excited about that. Those last year when I had ordered them, finally got them in stock and uh, they sold out within a week. So definitely I'll, I'll keep you guys in the loop. If you sign up for the email list over at my website, eastmeetswesthunt.com, that's usually where you'll find out about it first. Um, so definitely check that out. So with today's episode, having John Barclow back on, he's been on the podcast before. Guys, just an absolute wealth of knowledge, and I'm glad he's sharing it with people on a bigger platform with with his platform on Instagram, and it looks like he's expanding it more with a website, knowledgefromstorms.com. He's explaining you know, his 30 years of hunting experience and training Navy Special Warfare and all these other things uh, of these skills that he's been able to compile over the years and sharing that information uh, for you to learn. So definitely check out his stuff after you get done listening to this episode. So with that being said, welcome John Barklow. John Barklow, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Bo. It's uh, awesome to talk to you, man. It's it's awesome. This is going to be great to catch up over the next uh, whatever it is, hour or so. Yeah, I know. It's, it's funny. Uh, you were one of my first guests, uh, over three years ago now and uh, you've been a repeat wow. guest ever since but i was looking and it's been over a year since i've talked to you on the podcast last so welcome back yeah well you know the world had some stuff going on so yeah i know i know i didn't get to see it any trade shows I know. or any events I know. or anything so it's uh it's good to good to get to talk to you again yeah no absolutely absolutely <laughs> but uh yeah we were just talking about the hunt plans for this season yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you, so what do you have going on this year? So I'm going to start the year. I'm going to fly up to Alaska on August 7th and go on a caribou hunt. Oh, nice. So I haven't been back to Alaska in seven years since I left a friend of mine. We were going to do it last year and uh, just with everything going on, it wasn't worth trying to risk it 
risk the money, you know, try to squeeze it in. So we delayed a year. So we're going to, I'm going to go up there, do that. Uh, and then got my antelope tag here in, uh, in Montana, got my elk tag in Montana. looks like I got a Colorado land, Colorado, uh, landowner tag, uh, for elk, um, probably going to Utah for a work hunt for elk, um, drew a South Dakota, any deer tag, archery tag. So that's, I had that last year. I wasn't able to go. Uh, and then I kind of want to round out my season. I really want to go back to, uh, the Davis mountains in Texas and, um, and fill my audad tag. So I went down there earlier this year, April, maybe, um, I think it was April, um, and just couldn't get it done. So I, I got with that and a full-time job, I got plenty to plenty to balance. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, you gotta that's a that's a packed full schedule right there. Well, are you like me? Like I I I I get like all nervous and like twitchy, like thinking about hunt plans and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, like what am I gonna do? I don't have enough to do. Like I'm not gonna get to hunt this year. You know, it's ridiculous that I think that. Yep. And then all of a sudden it's like when I say it to you, I'm like uh, yeah, I got more than enough to do. <laughs> yeah, that's it's you it know? is it is so funny. I get the same way, but at the same time too, I I don't like the thought of thinking about a lot of it. It sounds bad, but when you think of all these things, I feel like I'm never completely prepared for all of them. Like I like to take the time and really, you know, get involved with it. So recently, I've kind of I've kind of tu- uh, tuned it back a little bit and tried to extend the hunts that I do have, and you know, really get to experience the whole thing and um you know not worry about as many and just try to worry about the the value there but it also comes down to the the amount of time that i'm able to to get off at work because i i know if i get a little more i'd be i'd probably be packing the schedule a little bit deeper yeah i mean i i hope to get to a point in my life where i i would love to take off you know august and september Right. And when I say take, like, I don't mind working a few, but I'd just love to be able to concentrate, devote two weeks, three weeks to a, to a hunt or a tag or whatever, and then have, you know, at least half of November off would be ideal. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that, that, that way you could put the timing. Cause I, I do feel like half the time I'm, you know, I got five days, right. And yeah. you try to enjoy it, but you, you always, you're always feeling rushed and you're always, you know, no matter what it is, halfway through the hunts or three days in, you're thinking about the next place you got to go. And I'm not complaining. I'm not yeah. complaining at all, but it would be nice to like relax a little bit more and go, you know what, this is, I got two tags and I'm going to devote six weeks total to those two tags and see what can, you know, see what can be done. Yeah, no, most definitely. And we, we were talking, um, a little bit before this, it was, uh, about how, how I'm heading out to Colorado and about, altitude sickness and how, you know, that's just not talked about a whole lot and, uh, you know, the repercussions of it. I mean, that's where, um, I won't go into the the full detail with you because I've, I've talked about it before with my buddy getting sick and getting hospitalized and everything, but man, we're, we're spending four days out there before the season even opens couple days, just taking it easy, trying to find glassing spots that are close to the road, you know, just acclimating, not doing a lot of hiking and then, you know, take our time getting in, setting up camp and having a, you know, a day, day and a half just to, to scout from our spot before we actually get into the hunt. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately 
you've kind of had to learn that the hard way, right? So, you yeah. know, your buddy was half supplies, almost got hurt. Um, but, you know, especially because your podcast is Eats Meets West, that uh, I don't think it's talked about enough. I'm not sure enough people, uh, I mean, people, so people out West here, I mean, we're aware of it, but, you know, I live at 5,000 feet. I can go to 9,500 feet in 15 minutes. I can drive to 9,500 feet, right? So um, although it can affect everyone and it does affect everyone, when you're truly coming from sea level or back East where you're not used to those elevations, you have to factor that into your plan. And what you're doing is, you know, absolutely ideal. So, you know, kind of textbook, and everyone's going to be a little different, but, you know, textbook is, uh, you know, 24 hours for every thousand feet that you go above 8,000 feet. So if you're coming from say sea level and let, you know, let's just say, I don't know where you're going, but let's just say you fly to Denver, that's 5,000. You drive to your trailhead, it's 8,500 feet. You can, you can hike around there and you can hike up to nine or 10,000 feet, but you should come down and sleep at that at that base camp at 8,500 feet, and that's your one 24-hour cycle. Okay, now you can move your camp to say 9,000 feet ish, 9,500 feet in this example. Uh, go ahead, hike, etc. Come back and sleep. So the 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 mountaineering mantra is climb high, sleep low, climb high, sleep low. It's the exact process that they use on Mount Everest, but if you don't factor that in. And, and the hunt you're talking about going on where you're going to be at 12 or 13,000 feet, um, you, you are literally defeated before you leave your home, Bo. If people are not uh, able to, to put the time in, are aware of the acclimatization that has to happen um, and be committed to that, um, I, they, they would just be better off to either not go on that hunt and, and wait till they have the time to do that. Or we were talking earlier, choose different areas that are lower and go, you know what? I'm not going to be able to hunt uh, at 12,000 feet. Or you say, I can't hunt to 12,000 feet until day four. I can hunt from eight to nine, nine to 10, 10 to 11 and hunt your way up. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it's a tasteless, odorless uh, thing, this altitude, but it literally kicks you know, any human's ass. Um, it, it, and it's, and it's different. So I know for me, it's above 10,000 feet where I feel it, but I know other guys, even though they're in better shape than me or we're in better shape in the past, they are more prone to, uh, altitude sickness than me. And I know if I hydrate properly, which to me is, I think that's the key to any human being. But if we, if I hydrate properly, then, uh, then generally speaking, I, you know, can manage it, but other people, their physiology just sets them up to be pr more prone to altitude sick. So, you know, the other thing, I don't want to make this all, of, I could speak literally for an hour about yeah. this. I don't want to, but, but, you know, the other thing is when you're talking about the altitudes you're talking about, um, you know, food is absolutely not going to taste as good. Uh, you're almost assuredly going to go to head, go to, go to bed with a headache. Um, you're going to have to concentrate on hydrating probably more than even you do at home and monitor that hydration by looking at the color your your urine. So it should be, you know, about a straw color, at least for me. Right. So all these things have to be factored in, um, you know, let alone like UV is higher up there. So you're going to get sunburned quicker, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's a different environment up there that 
if you haven't experienced it or you're not aware enough and plan for that, then you could really set yourself up for failure before you, you, you know, you ever leave uh, your home. So it sounds like, you know, unfortunately you guys have had a poor experience. Yeah. You've learned from that. You've studied it. And, and, and now you've, you've got a plan in place, I think, to be very successful. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think that's so important. I noticed even when I was out and I was talking to you when I was out in Montana there with my, my brother, we did a hike and it was, I mean, probably at the highest point, we were around 9,400 feet or so. Um, and I, I didn't feel terrible at that, like when we hiked up to there, but I noticed like if I, I bent over once to, I think it was a time I boost tighter or something and I got lightheaded for a second. I felt like he was going to fall over just like the, the little bit, you know, that wasn't at extreme, but then you, as you go up higher, you know, that's just even gets, gets worse. And I, I think yeah. that's a, that's a really good point of being, uh, being honest with yourself on what you're able to do with those types of types of hunts. And that's why I'm like, there's no way I'm going to only, I can only make this, you know, a five to seven day hunt. It's just not possible. Um, yep. yep. Yeah. Some hunts just require more time. Yeah. Especially if you're coming from where you come from, you know, I mean, uh, honestly, like that, because, you know, of the name of the podcast and, and your, and your listeners eats me swest. Like this altitude thing is, I'm not going to say it's the exact nucleus, but like so many things shoot out from, from this altitude thing that, that people don't consider. So rates of movement. So, you know, you're in great shape. You run a marathon in Boston. Okay, great. Put 30 pounds on your back, go to 9,000 feet, go to 10,000 feet, go to 12,000 feet. Like you're talking you're not going to feel the same as you did running the streets of Boston. Okay. You're going to have gear on, you're going to have boots, you're going to have weight on your back. You're going to be at altitude. So if you're planning for these rates of movement that, that you, you know, in your training area, wherever that may be. And I'm like, well, I can hike, you know, five kilometers or five miles or what, however you choose to measure distance, you know, in this amount of time that has to be shortened. And if you're a real go-getter where altitude affects altitude affects on average, younger people, the motivated people, the, the, the aggressive fit people, because when they get there, they, they can't, and I couldn't either dial back their enthusiasm and go, Hey, this thing that I can't see, I can't smell. I can't feel, I can't taste like it's there. And it is going to kick my ass if I don't, if I don't manage it. Right. And so rates of movement, uh, what your gear is, how much you can get done, how, you know, big an area you can hunt, um, you know, now put a bull on your back or a buck and try to get that out of the field and then recover from that the next day to go back and either get your camp or, you know, hunt your buddy's tag. Like, and, and the awareness is the big thing, but then you just have to go and do it. Right. And so that's where the, the learning and the knowledge comes from. And, and, you know, you certainly have gotten that right. Like it's been super cool to see your evolution, yeah. the intelligence I'll say that I've seen you put behind it and that, uh, you know, dissection of what you've done, uh, those lessons learned and then, you know, reapplying them. But, but if people aren't aware, um, and, and it's not to scare anybody, but, but like, if you don't know the symptoms of altitude sickness, high altitude pulmonary and cerebral edema and how to counter those, right? So not only what it is that the awareness I've got it, or you have it, but how we counter those effects, um, you could seriously hurt yourself and, 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 and pulmonary and cerebral edema can kill you. 
right? So like that is a true statement. Yeah. So, um, you know, if, if gone unchecked, so yeah, there's, there's lots to it. Um, so I think you're going to have an awesome hunt and you're going to have, it's going to be great to talk to you because you're going to have a ton to talk about yeah. when you come back just about the environment alone, let alone the actual awesome hunting. I'm sure you're going to have. Oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I have, I have nervous feelings about at the same time. Like I've, I've, I've hunted the high country before, but not like the, the area we're going to is, is pretty, pretty rugged. And some, you know, there's a lot of cliffs and a lot of different stuff that, you know, I, I, I'm not used to dealing with that all the time. Like it's going to be kind of an eye opener and, and, and trying to adapt to it and learn and understand it. I mean, it's funny though, as you talk about like the evolution, as you get into, you know, Western hunting and, and hunting these types of places, the first year I went out, I remember the first time being at like 11,000 feet going across this steep open meadow on this, this hillside is up towards the top and there was nothing below me. And I felt like was taking my breath away. Cause I was just like, felt like, Oh, if I fall, I'm done, you know? And then as I, as I did it more, I became more comfortable and understood like what, how far I could go without, you know, as far as the risk standpoint and being comfortable with it and realizing, okay, I wasn't really in danger. It was just something that was different, you know, to me and being able to understand that, that risk and what you're willing to, to be able to do. Yeah. The other thing about, you know, higher elevations, especially when you start getting above tree line is, you know, afternoon storms are, are a real thing. Lightning, you're, you're more exposed, understanding that, again, knowing how to manage that. Uh, this past weekend, we had the total archery challenge at Big Sky. And um, I was already down in the parking lot, say, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, something like that. And we could see a big storm rolling. And so, you know, I think, I mean, I'm just going to have to guess. But let's just say the parking lot was at 8,000 feet. I, I could be off on this. It, it It's beside the point, quite frankly. But so, you know, 1,500 feet, 2,000 feet above us, so say no higher than 10,000 feet, and certainly not at the top of the mountain. This storm comes rolling through. So it was bad where we were, and it went from the mid-90s to the mid-50s, literally in a couple minutes. And it started raining, wind picked up, torrential rain, lasted about hour, something like that. At 9,500 feet, it was hailing, and it went from scorching hot to hailing in July, uh, just like that, because of that elevation, because you're higher, you're more exposed. And so those are things that people don't necessarily consider when they, you know, are selecting a tent or selecting their clothing or their puffy jacket, you know, or, Hey, it's hot. We don't need rain gear or, Hey, we're going to do this in a bivy tent. And, uh, you know, all those things, you know, have to be kind of factored in when you're, when you're building your kit and kind of thinking through that. Yeah. It's it's weird too because like you can have one year where you don't have you know bad yeah. weather and it can really it can <laughs> it can really I guess jade your thoughts like when I remember I think it was good the first year I was out there I experienced those lightning storms and the hail storms and stuff that came in like right now quick that yeah. then when the next year when it was dry and I felt like I was out there for like fourteen days and I didn't have I couldn't remember really any rain or any storms and it was like 
And then the following year, I had six inches of snow dropped on me overnight, <laughs> you know, and I had all these things that I had, you know, learned and, and just realized that you have to, yeah, definitely have to be prepared for, for all of those things and understand they can happen and you hope that you don't need some yeah. of that stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So like when you're for anybody like, you know, okay, say myself or anybody else that's kind of really, it apply to anybody, even people that live in the West, but what are some of the, like the skills that you should learn or things that you should be thinking about as you're going into these, these hunts to help lower that risk or being able to tolerate some of these things, you know, as far as, you know, gear aside, like specifics of gear, but just like the knowledge base that would be able to help. Do you have any things that come to mind right away? Well, you know, I think we've, we've clearly already talked about one of them, which is altitude, Yeah, what those effects are, how to mitigate that. Right. So I, I think that's one, um, it, 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 it's, it's gear related, but I think it's important for people to, um, know how to um, dry themselves out, dry their clothes out, things like that. I think that's um, critically important. I think people need to understand, um, I think nutrition is a big part of this, but, you know, so many people focus on, which I, I don't, I don't have a problem with it, but they focus on, you know, counting calories and, and making, uh, uh, you know, like organic food or, you know, they don't want to uh, eat a mountain house or whatever the case may be. Um, but they don't take into consideration that at least for me, and I'm, I know I'm not the only one, but with a lot of physical exertion, um, you, you're, you don't really feel like eating, right? You can even feel nauseous, especially at altitude, uh, nausea is, is definitely one of the symptoms of just acclimatization, um, that if you don't bring food that, uh, you just love, like absolutely love, like, you know, vanilla ice cream every night, Right. Um, then you're not going to feel like you want to consume that. Um, so, you know, that, that would be another one. Um, I think navigation, which that could be a whole thing on itself, but I think um, not, not just the, 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 you know, I was going to say map and compass or, you know, using your phone or digital map, but, uh, you know, one of the terms I like to use is exploiting terrain to your advantage. So, you know, if you're coming from back east, you 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 definitely have some access to some mountains, even though they're going to be a little different out west. Maybe they're steeper. Maybe they don't have as much timber. But learning how to use and to exploit terrain to your advantage. So, if you know, I, you know, the map tells me I'm here and I want to get back to my tent. Um, you don't walk in a straight line, right? You you don't go up a hill to go down a hill when you could go around a hill. Um, you talked about cliffs having the awareness that, you know, sometimes we put ourselves in position and, and nobody talks about this. Somebody who's ex as experienced as me, we don't do a good enough job of talking about, you know what? I got my ass kicked. You know what? I got knighted uh, over, you know, I got benighted. I got, I got uh, shut down. I literally had to sit down where I was because I have, I was in terrain that I shouldn't have been in, in the dark. And the best course of action was me to just sit there and wait till morning, right? Um, those kind of things I think are really important. They're not talked about as often. I mean, certainly some people, uh, I, I was going to say in the industry, but that's that's probably a bad term. But you know, somebody like Snyder uh, is certainly talking about navigation. I've talked about it um, 
maybe not to the extent of he has. I talk about it in different terms, but you know, I think that's a big one, right? Rates of movement, like you know, not not the training in the gym or doing the ruck hikes, but like planning, you know, planning your 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 trip out, um, you know, daily route planning or daily route cards. There's a lot. There's so much to dig into. So obviously, you're letting me get on my soapbox here. So. I'll just uh, stay on it. I'll just stay on it for, for a couple more minutes, but, um, you know, so everybody wants to focus on the cool stuff uh, and to include myself, like I, I want to train in the gym. I want to get on the gym program. I want to shoot my bow. I want to shoot my rifle. I want to buy the latest gear, right? Which is all great, but people truly need to know how to under, you know, how to utilize and understand that stuff. And I like to say, we focus on the sexy part of, of the mission or the sexy part of the hunt, but we need to focus more on what I call the care and feeding of ourselves. So, you know, I, I know, I know how to, you know, I know what the altitude is going to do. I know how to feed myself. I know how to uh, decontaminate water and and to hydrate. Um, I know what my rates of movement are. I know how to dry my clothing out. I know how to set my tent up uh, or more importantly, my tarp up in the dark at night in a windstorm, right? Like nobody goes out and practices those things. And so unless you kind of do what you're doing, which is going on these hunts and experiencing it good and experiencing it bad. Um, but everybody wants to kind of start so up on the rung of the ladder because the industry is like, Hey, go do these hunts. And if you're a tough guy, you're doing them. And if you're not, you're a nobody. And I'm like, no, that's not the way we should approach it. We should approach it. It's here's this lifelong journey and different people are at different steps of that lifelong journey. Right. And that's aspirational to get to, but I think so many people get disappointed because wherever they're coming from, they want to go. And I use this as an example because it's just top of mind, but, you know, archery hunting elk on public land, you know, obviously out West and they've never killed uh, a deer. They've never killed an antelope. They've never killed a turkey. They've never killed a bear. And it's like, you literally want to go to the big leagues year one. And I just think people set themselves up for disappointment and failure. And I would prefer that they start slower, maybe, and work up to that and and kind of pursue this as a lifelong passion and not get their ass kicked for three years and then quit because it's not fun. It hurts a lot, right? We yeah. know this. Um, and, and success is, there's no guarantee on success, no matter how good you are. And the people that you see in the media never talk about their failures. They only want to talk about their successes. And so I think we, we all need to do, and it sounds like you have, talk more about you know, our lessons learned um, when we have gotten punched in the face and, and dropped to our knees and, and you know, what things we put in place to kind of come back from that, you know, what we've done to mitigate risks and, and not let that happen again. Um, and, and I know it's overwhelming for somebody to hear me say this, but what I would say is just start slow and work your way up. And back in, uh, say back in the day, but like when I was a kid, like we just started backpacking around, like yeah. literally just going and backpacking. And that's where you got the care and feeding side of it. And you started working through your hydration. You started working through your nutrition and how to manage blisters and 
Oh, you know, if something happened, like how do I repair something in the field? And then eventually I got a bow in my hand or a rifle and then started learning animal behavior, right? It's like this huge thing, but everybody just wants to focus on, you know, the one thing. Uh, and I think we, we set a lot of people up for disappointment because of that. No, I, I, I think you're, you know, a hundred percent right with that. And it's, yeah, I mean, I, I remember that's the first thing that I, I tried to do is when I first started going out West, I wanted to go hunt elk. I wanted a backpack hunt. I wanted, if I were to do, it, do it again and what I've been telling people is like, maybe you want to start with truck camping and just yeah. go in and, you know, learn, learn it a little bit, see how, how you react to it, because you can take in as much knowledge and listen to you, listen to me and talking about our experiences. But until you actually get to do it yourself and understand how you react to it, it's, I I don't know. It's just, I, I mean, all of us get caught up in wanting to, you know, jump right up the ladder and, and do really well and be successful. And it's like, yep. I've, you know, I've had to talk to myself about this mule deer hunt. Like you you obviously you want to succeed, but you also have to understand that it's going to be a learning. It's going to be a learning experience. It's brand new. It's different stuff. You know, although I've hunted out West before and I've hunted in the high country, I haven't done it at this level or at this way. And instead of saying, okay, I'm going to be out there for 14 days, instead of saying, I'm going to spend the, I'm going to take in enough food and stuff for 14 days straight in the back country. Why don't you split it up in, you know, four or five day stints and, you know, make it, approachable and able to, to be able to do that. Um, wh- yep. one of the things I think that you said, uh, um, when you, when you were talking there was about like that time you said you got cliffed out and it was in the dark. That's a point where like most people can panic and then make a bad decision from that, that panic and being able to, you know, assess that and understand like, all right, it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to have to sit here for a while, but like, this is what, what I need to, to do to, you know, I don't want to, you know, over dramatize it, but survive, you know, when it comes down to, yeah. to which yeah. is literally the the case in it. Yeah. Well, a lot of times people get themselves into predicaments to include myself, right? We're all human where you make one poor decision and then it starts to kind of, uh, you know, steamroll that. And, um, and, and again, one of my weaknesses when I go out in the mountains is I, you know, I just talked about, I got five days, I got six days, I got to move on to something else or get back to work or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, I don't want to spend the night out away from camp, right? I want to go eat my dinner. I want to go get my night's sleep. I want to go to a different Canyon tomorrow because where I was, was unproductive. Um, but for whatever reason, I put myself in a predicament where I can't do that now. Right. And, and, to have the discipline and the knowledge, right? To go, the best course of action is for me to sit here and, and ride this out um, is, is a tough thing, e- even for me, right? But, but I've also uh, gotten into the predicaments where I didn't do that, right? Where I did try to go down through the cliffs and it got a hell of a lot worse, I can tell you. I mean, luckily nobody's ever died, but like I've gotten in some really tough spots before with avalanches and all kinds of stuff. Um, rock fall and hitting people and, you know, breaking equipment and, and then you're, you're just better, you know, in hindsight and you're like, why didn't I just sit there, you know, wait for nautical twilight or wait for the moon to come up at 2 AM, right. At, at three quarters of a moon. And then maybe I could navigate my way around this as opposed to trying to go down it. Um, so I, I am speaking like, you know, kind of do as I say, not as I do sometimes, because we, we want to do that, but we have these itineraries 
these fake itineraries. The animals don't have an itinerary. No. Um, so yeah, it, 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 that's, you know, it's difficult. And I think we all have to work on that. Um, but if you've never been there and you're like, oh, it can't be that bad, um, down, down climbing stuff like, and I, you know, used to be a technical rock climber, ice climber, like you can go up a lot of stuff that you can't come back down. Um, and it doesn't look that bad, but it is. And so trying to do that in the dark with the pack, like that's, that's where, that's where accidents are really going to happen. Yeah. Know? Well, and, and so there's a couple things I want to touch on with that. The th- what you were talking about planning your routes and having yeah. that stuff like, you know, either written down or however you're doing it is from, you know, I'm lucky. I do get to talk to a lot of people like yourself and others that do this. And that's one of the things that I've realized that a lot of the successful people that are doing this and stuff, they plan things out very detailed. And I, I start, I think it was, it was two, uh, two or three years ago. I really, really started planning out my hunts and I'm not going to get into the whole, like about the places and where to find animals, but even down to the, the routes and how I'm going to access things. Because for, I remember the first year I got out there and I was like, I'm going to glass off of that. And then when you get there and look at it and say, I have no idea how in the hell I'd even get to that spot right. and right. being able how to, or like when I was, you know, all right, it's getting close to, to dark here and, and my camp's over on this mountain. I remember going down straight through, like you said, the straight line tactic and hitting so much deadfall that I felt like I was lost. Even with my headlamp in the dark, I couldn't see, you know, four feet in front of me because it was just trees all over the place. And although it might've been, you know, a mile longer going around, it would have been a lot easier, uh, of a, of a hike. And, and so how, when you're like planning those things and how, how are you assessing it and being able to, you know, say, read the map or understand, you know, what looks too risky or what, what looks like a, a, a better route there? Yeah. So, you know, obviously a little bit comes with experience, but I, one of the skill sets that is not been lost, but certainly is not very prevalent anymore that when I talk about navigation um, is learning how to read the, the, the topo lines, the contour lines on a topographic map, right? Um, the 3D imagery is great. The digital imagery, it's, it's awesome. Google Earth is incredible. Um, we all know if you've done it before and, and actually gone there that Google Earth is definitely distorts things. Yeah. But, the, but the one thing that's not distorted is when you look at the, the contour lines on a map. Um, and, and again, it takes some experience, but... Uh, you know, you can certainly study that, but I can look at a map and I always try to have, if I can, a printed map of where I'm going. If not, I'll try to overlay contours to a, uh, aerial photo if possible. Cause I think that that's a pretty good way of helping and finding animals, but, but understanding like what those contour lines mean and what those distances between those contour lines are. And if, if there's a bunch of little squiggly lines, like that's a draw or that's a drainage that I probably don't want to go anywhere close to. Or if all of a sudden contour lines stack together, that's a that's a cliff. Like those are areas I want to skirt around. I don't want to be there. Um, and I think that the my my guess is what a lot of people do is they they look at Google Earth or they look at say an onyx or a base map, they look at the aerial photos. And they just say, hey, that looks like a great glassy knob. Maybe they turn it 3D, you know, so they can see it. But they don't actually understand 
how to exploit that terrain, how to use that terrain to get there. Um, and if you do learn how to run contour lines, you can look and go, yeah, well, that may be the direct route, but if I go this way, I can come up, I can climb 500 feet, then I can get on this bench that may have elk or mule deer. I can contour around, come up the backside, and it's totally safe. And then if you drop some waypoints, especially on your way in, then you can, if you have the discipline, come back out in the dark, right? Because yeah. you you should come back out the way you came and not start to explore in the middle of the night, because um, that can definitely you know lead to some some interesting things. But you know, I used to teach land navigation for a lot of a lot of years, and you know, I, I also would um, you know go to these uh, different mountain ranges, kind of sight unseen, uh, and and take guys out and and have to look at those contour lines and navigate through terrain to get from point A to point B. And it, it absolutely is an acquired skill, but but it doesn't take a lot to at least look at the map and kind of plan a route and maybe drop some waypoints and walk that way. Um, you know, I think I'm going to probably keep saying it, but like, you know, we need, you know, people need to be patient with themselves. They shouldn't go out there and just think that this is not a a controlled sporting event, right? So it's like, you're going to go there, go balls to the wall, like run out of food, run out of water, like, you know, get stuck on the mountain. It's like, no, you have to, you have to manage your resources. And yeah, you might walk a little farther around as opposed to going straight up something. Uh, But now you have a safe route to come back out in the dark. You have a safe route to take meat out on your back, right? You don't have to be the tough guy. um, Because listen, there's not a lot of when I say tough guys, there's a lot of tough guys, but there's not a lot of people that the, the guys that you see are very smart, right? And you may think that they're going straight up that, and maybe they show that at, at times, but they have planned those routes out. They've planned their routes out by the day. They know where the water sources are. They know where their camps or p- potential camps are, as opposed to, you know, where a wallow or some beds are for whatever animal, um, glassy knobs, like all those kind of things. If you know how to read those contour lines on a map, you can take that, apply it to the aerial imagery and really have a good idea of what you're doing and then break that down. Like I said, go, you know what? I can only move, you know, I like to say if you plan on 2K an hour um, on a trail, you're not going to be disappointed. Everybody's like, 2K an hour, like that's one and a half miles or whatever uh, an hour. It's like, yeah, but with a pack on your back at altitude, right? Like trying to conserve your energy. Maybe there's some blowdown, like all of a sudden that's, you know, that's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility. So, um, anyways, so that, that's, that's definitely one thing is just navigation, moving around the mountains, like exploiting that terrain, like making it your friend and not your enemy, um, understanding just basic contour navigation. Um, I I normally let people know I'm not the best navigator, uh, there's some people better than me for sure. But when I go out there, I normally let other people navigate because I want to see what they're doing and, and how they do it. And gosh, sometimes it's just, we're going to move up a valley. We've got a big uh, drainage on our left or a big ridge on our, on our left. And it's like, man, as long as I keep that ridge on my left, it's going to take me where where we need to go. Like I don't need to look at my phone every 50 yards. I'm just going to walk keep it on my left. And when I get there close enough, then I can pull out the phone and actually dial it right where I need to be, you know, yeah. just finding that efficiency, I think helps. And that's what you can do in the off season, no matter where you live, 
you can go and do that, have fun, make it, make it a competition with your buddies, like whatever it is, you know, and, uh, and just really enjoy yourself, but you're, but you're learning, you're, you're learning some skills that are going to apply for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's like when you're, when you're looking at those things, the way I, I look at it is so for my, in my profession, like a lot of what I do is safety and risk management. So like when I, I try to take some of the stuff I had, I learned in manufacturing and the work environment that I have and apply it here. So I look at everything when you come up with a problem as, you know, what the probability of something that could happen, you know, what's the severity of that? And also the, you know, the amount of time. So like, say you had to do like a river crossing that, you know, was a little bit sketchy or whatever. There was a log going across. Okay. I only have to do that once. So it's not, or, or maybe I have to come back. So that's, you know, twice that you have there. And, you know, what's the, what's the worst thing that could happen with it? Or could I get injured, you know, and then, and how, how bad could it be? And kind of, and that, that score and how you think about that would depend on your skill level, your experience level, all of those things. But I, I think it's, like you said, I think it's important to think about, you know, those risks and how, and plan, plan ahead for that. Yeah. And everybody's personality is going to be different, right? Or every, yeah. every group of people is going to be different. Their acceptance for risk, uh, their acceptance for suffering, uh, their skill level, you know, all, all those things kind of come into play, right? And and you know, your your level of risk on one thing may not necessarily be the same level of risk for me. And so yeah, trying to trying to figure that risk out uh and mitigate that is a really interesting thing. Cause like I said, it's this very uncontrolled environment. So I had a guy reach out to me and he said, uh when you're in bear country, which we have a lot of here in Montana and all the states around us, um, you know, so he said, do you carry bear, uh, bear spray or a pistol? And I said, well, it depends. Rare, rarely would I carry both, but I, I could on occasion, but generally one or the other. So that's, that is a mitigation of, of risk, right? That, that I'm carrying something to defend myself and, and hopefully not harm the bear, but, but deter the bear from, from mauling me. So then the next thing he says is what should I do with my food? Where should I place it? I said, well, you should eat, you know, say 200 yards away from camp. Of course, it's, it's always condition dependent uh, and you should hang your food, right? So, so that is a mitigation of risk in bear country. And then he said, uh, you know, do you bring any food into your tent? And I said, you know, no, not really. It's all hanging up, but maybe I'll bring something to bed to eat in the middle of the night if it's really cold out. Um, but if it's really cold out, depending on the time of year, there might not be a lot of bears walking around. So again, I'm trying yeah. to figure out that the behavior of the animal to kind of mitigate that risk or where I am, like in Alaska in the summertime, if you were not down on the salmon rivers or in a, in a, in a salmon berry patch, like the, the chances of running into a bear in the high country were pretty slim, right? So where I was going, understanding that behavior, uh, animal behavior was, was helping mitigate that risk. And then he said, well, what about my clothes? What about my backpack that's, you know, had food around it or like my backpacks had food in it, you know? And so we were going down this, this kind of line of question. And finally, I just said, listen, I understand where you're going. I understand you haven't, uh, you know, really lived around bears or, you know, hunted with bears or, uh, you know, lived in the, in the environment of bears. I said, but at a certain point, you can't mitigate all risk you have to you have to accept a certain level of risk and everyone's going to accept a different level of risk right yeah. based on all the things we just talked about so you're trying to lower it but the reality is just 
just with the sheer fact of you going out there, the risk is less than zero. Like you've elevated the risk, just putting yourself out there. But, um, but you try to put these different layers in place. Like you talked about, I mean, if this is what you do, then you'd know better than me. Um, you know, it's the same thing we did in the military. We're doing these high risk evolutions routinely Yeah, doing these high risk evolutions, but all these things were in place, literally step-by-step written out. All these things had to be done. All these things had to be in place. All these resources and assets had to be available to mitigate that risk and bring it to an acceptable level. And then, although all risk wasn't removed, it was acceptable enough that we would go do it. And most of the time it worked out. And when it didn't, then we would come back and obviously really readdress that through the lessons learned and try to put more steps in place or remove some steps, whatever the case may be, to again, go through that course, mitigate that risk and make it acceptable on a repeatable basis. So, um, but it's really going to be different for every group of people based on a lot of different factors. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you, you can come down, there's so many different things. Like you said, there's procedural things that you can put in place or understand to be able to, to mitigate risk, different barriers, whether it be from the weather, you know, and your gear and knowing how to use it and do all those things. And just, you know, your knowledge base and experience, that's a, that's something that lowers, you know, your risk yep. to be able yep. to do that. And like you said, everyone's personality and skill level and stuff varies, but there's definitely, you know, a, a, I think it comes down to being honest with yourself too and being able to understand your capabilities and your your even your mental capabilities as well to be able to to withstand some of that stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I was I accepted and was willing to accept far more risk when I was younger. Than I, you know, than I am now. Yeah. Um, for for a lot of different reasons. Um, I don't, I don't really know why. I mean, some of it's just I don't want to get I I don't want to risk getting hurt as much because I know it's going to take me longer to recover. Yeah. Right. Um. I mean, that's one of them. But uh, but yeah. But it's it's an interesting thing. And obviously, if it's a new activity for you, then you know there's going to be more inherent risk just because you 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 are brand new to that activity. Um, than if you've been doing it for the last 30 years. Yeah. Oh, mo- and, and definitely. It, and, and, and so just, just one more point, but, but see, that's what people don't kind of factor in when they see, you know, people pack rafting down a river with a, with a dull sheep, you know, in the front of it and they're coming out of the Brooks range or whatever. And they're like, oh my God, that's badass, blah, blah, blah. And the person who's saying that doesn't even know how to swim is an example, right? Or they've yeah. never paddled a, a kayak or they've never been in class uh, you know, three whitewater or, you know, there's so many things, but that person doing that and it does look badass and it is badass. Uh, but that person is probably completely comfortable in that environment to get to that level where they're doing that. But, but we don't necessarily think that when we're, when we're viewing it, right. We're just like, I want to go do that. Yeah. And you certainly should and could go do that. But what you have to put in place is all this time and all these steps, all this knowledge, all this training to get to that level. As our buddy Dan says, delayed gratification. You know, it's, (laughs) I love, I love that. I love that statement that Dan makes because it's a very, and it's not just about hunting. It's about life in general, right? It's about life in general. And so again, I I just keep harping on, I guess, because I'm in the hunting industry, but like, 
you know, we, we don't do a great job. We do, a, I think as a general, we do a great job with the aspiration, yeah. but we don't do a good job kind of on the back end going, Hey man, like this doesn't mean like you should do this on day one. Yeah. You know? uh, well, you that, can have a lot of great adventures, but maybe not that one on day one. Well, it's like, know, it's or like year one. When I, when I've, I've had an aspiration to want to moose hunt in Alaska in the worst way. And I always wanted to do the float trip, you know, down through. And I'm like, you can do it yourself. This is awesome. Then I went to Alaska, not before I went hunting there, when I just went up and I was, uh, I was with Heather Kelly from Heather's Choice and we went on this rafting trip and she was a raft guide. So she knew what she was doing, but I, I, you know, for a little bit there, I was kind of manning the paddles and and trying to learn how to do it. And I'm like, man, things can get weird quick. And, and I'm like, well, if I'm going to do this style hunt one, I either got to dedicate to really learning this and putting myself in, in these situations with someone that's there that's knows more than me and can kind of coach and and teach with it Mm -hmm. or otherwise i just literally got to go with somebody that that or or go with a guide or something like that you know so i talk i've I've talked about you know partners or you know we we, you know you call it hunting buddies in the hunting industry you call it partners in the climbing or skiing industry but but it's all the same thing um but you know there's certain there's certain partners that 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 i pair up with or have paired up with for certain types of trips that is not the perfect partner for other types of trips. Um, now I'm not saying that you should break up with your best friend or, you know, but, um, but I think people have to really, you know, both, both people or however many people are coming together really have to kind of think about that. Um, especially on a trip, like a float trip, certainly in any kind of climbing and skiing environment you had to, I would say any kind of wilderness trip, because, you know, that, that, those people that come together form, a you know, um, uh, you know, a capability. Um, and, and again, that, that kind of lowers the risk or, you know, we have the capability to go down this river and no matter what happens, we can deal with it. Or, Hey, you know what? One of us doesn't even know how to swim and nobody else knows how to row, but the one guy. So if that one guy gets hurt, then we're all screwed. Right. And so the, the capability of the collective group, um, you know, really has to be considered. And, and, and that's where you have to go, Hey, Bo, if you really want to go do that, um, I might not be the best partner and maybe your, your good buddy in Pennsylvania, whitetail with may not be the best partner, but there's other people you could partner with and, and the skills you bring are going to make that group stronger than if you weren't there. Um, but, but when you start talking about those kind of trips, I think you have to get to that level of, of kind of understanding of that group dynamics and, and, and what everyone brings to the table. Oh yeah, and and that's why I mean for for me I will not go on a western hunt with just anybody. I've found a core group of guys that I do really well with and I think we work great as a team. Each of us has our own positives as well as our negatives, but we seem to complement mm-hmm. each other to be able to mm-hmm. to help. But like we have a call tomorrow as we're planning our trip and we're talking about the things that, you know, you don't, you don't think about, you're not, you, some people will think, oh, you just figure it out when you get there. You know, we're, all right, we get an animal down. Is the whole team going to pack out? Are we going to be able to do it with a couple people? How is that going to work? How are, you know, what, what are the, the methods for that? You know, how are we going to set up camp? What's that going to look like carrying gear, all those different things, trying to, 
to get that stuff worked out ahead of time and then even asking, you know, the the tough questions with it, you know, as far as okay, so who's responsible for doing this or how how are we going to plan this part of the the trip, you know, who's who's going to be going in for a stock and all of these things and planning that stuff out so you're not just mm-hmm. all of a sudden people are mad at each other and they're not holding their weight. Yeah, well that group dynamics is a uh, it, it's just it it's everything or it can be everything because it's either going to make a trip great or it could just make a trip miserable, right? And and at its worst, it would make a trip unsafe. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And and so yeah. that that kind of I kind of want to transition to you know another skill that that I think about and and I want to increase on my my own is being able to deal with say any medical type. I don't know if emergencies or anything that would happen, like as far as, you know, your basic backcountry first aid skills and being able to utilize what's in that first aid kit that you went and bought it wherever and knowing how to understand that. How do you, how do you look at backcountry first aid and what are some of the the most important things? So, so I look at all the things that we're talking about. I look at it all as training, right? Yep. And nobody really talks about it like that, but it's all training. Like, there's no off season. There's something to learn. There's something to train on. There's something to brush up on. And the medical part going back ties back to risk management is, you know, what, what medical skills do we carry out in the field with us or as a collective group? Um, you know, if you haven't, if people haven't taken a a medical course, they, they need to, right. If you're going to go in the backcountry. You need to do that. You need to owe it to yourself because the reality is if you go out there long enough, things are going to start to happen that if you're capable, you're going to manage and make a potentially bad situation into just uh, a difficult situation that becomes a good story and not a tragedy, right? Or not some uh, emergency scenario where you have to put you know, other people like a SAR unit potentially at risk to come get you or one of your buddies. So, uh, you know, and again, this whole thing is kind of circular in the way it goes, but here's, here's my thoughts on medical kits. First, get some training. So basic first aid, wilderness first responder, you know, there's all woof, there's all kinds of courses, but then what I see also is people are carrying these big, uh, first aid kits, in the field thinking that that is risk mitigation because they have it, but they don't have the skill set to use it. So they're carrying nasal pharyngeal airways or carrying suture kits or carrying all this stuff. And I'm like, what a, wait a second, carry a kit that coincides with your capabilities, right? So if you don't know how to suture, then don't, because the reality is probably super glue or a butterfly bandage is going to do just fine. And it's probably, you're, you're probably not going to do as much harm, right? Don't bring any airway if you don't know how to do it. Cause you're probably going to kill your buddy, uh, in the process of trying to save him, Right. And so it's pair the medical kit with your capabilities. And if you're not comfortable with them, with your capabilities, then, then go and train and get more capabilities. Um, I would say that, you know, so my medical kit, so I've been to, you know, EMT, wilderness EMT, wilderness first responder. I've been to all of them. I, you know, I've, I've been taught how to suture and run IVs and, and all that stuff, pack, pack gunshot wounds. My first aid kit is relatively basic 
because I try to take not only my skill set, but also my experience and go, what are the probabilities of something happening, right? So I like to say, what if weighs a lot. You can actually what if yourself into carrying a thousand pounds in the field when you're not going to get anywhere. So it's like, what are the, what are the common core uh, problems, illnesses, injuries? Let me take care of that, right? Do I know how to fig, uh, 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 take care of and figure out ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation? Okay, I can take care of that. Um, I think if you're gun hunting, you should probably uh, understand how and have a few things to manage a gunshot wound because that seems like it could be an issue. Uh, but what's far more probable than a gunshot wound is cuts, either cuts from knives and scalpels, i.e., you know, butchering an animal or uh, collecting firewood, or certainly when you're archery hunting. We've seen it in the last couple of years with some mutual friends of ours, I'm sure, with broadheads, yep. right? And so I want to be able to manage that. So the couple of things that are kind of maybe outside of the maybe the norm of uh, a standard medical kit that most people carry is I carry super glue. So that's got multiple uses. Um, it's got multiple uses for blisters, uh, repairs of gear, and also to uh, glue some some cuts shut if need be. Um, so that would be one that maybe some people haven't ha uh, don't have. I would say clotting gauze or clotting sponges, um, so that you know you can pack a wound. Uh, you can you can buy them. They definitely have expiration dates. You need to check. Uh, but I would say clotting gauze is another huge one. Doesn't take a lot of uh, training to understand how to use, but could absolutely save somebody's life. And I would say the third one uh, is a tourniquet. And there's a ton of great lightweight tourniquets on the market. Again, you you need some instruction. It's not like super complicated, but a tourniquet. Uh, you know, if somebody's bleeding out from whatever the injury may be, broken femur, falling off a cliff, uh, you know, gunshot wound, or you know, a, a bad uh, laceration or puncture, um, you know, that, 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 that tourniquet could, could save somebody's life. So, you know, those would be the three things outside of the norm that I think, uh, you know, people should maybe look at doing, but, but that medical kit, uh, informs the capability of the group. And again, like what, what are the, what are the risks that that group is, is willing to take? Right. So, uh, I, I think it's great. I, I don't carry a very big medical kit. I know, uh, you know, a couple other guys I've talked to, I've podcast with in the past, like they don't, but we carry just enough that, that is, uh, that not only, uh, lives up to our, our training and, and our, our capabilities, but also just what we think is realistic. Because at the end of the day, like if you almost get your head cut off, I'm hitting the SOS button, dude. Yeah. Like I'm not going to carry everything for every contingency because if so, then you'll never get anywhere. Right. Yeah. And so you just kind of play the odds like we had talked about earlier. Yeah. I, I know it's one of the things that, that I'd learned in, in the, the first aid, first responder course that I had taken and was like, all right, you're what you're, what it's called a first aid kit for a reason. You're trying to just take care of it enough to you can get real help. Like if you need it too, you know, it's not, you're not trying to completely heal yourself there. Essentially, if you had something bad, like you're trying to get out safely and, you know, and I carry uh, the Garmin in reach uh, mini on me and absolutely it's one it's, quick side note. It's important to test, test that out ahead of time. You know, I'm a month and a half out from my trip and I was starting to test mine and I hadn't turned it on in a year and it wasn't turning on right and it needed updated and all this stuff like 
get that stuff figured out. And I learned from watching one of your videos was keeping it right on your bino harness. Because if it's in your yeah. pack, what hell kind of good is that going to do if you're in a tough situation, you can't reach it, it, you know, in a, in a short amount of time and having all that stuff accessible. And I, I think what, what I've learned, um, and, and we talked about it the last time you were on, but we'll, we'll get into it more later is, you know, the platform that you've created with knowledge, knowledge from storms and being able to give this information out there. One of the things that I learned is how strategic you have your gear and the placement of it and when you're carrying it. Cause like, again, it doesn't do you any good if you can't access yeah. it or don't know where everything's if you just stuff everything in your bag and don't understand how to get to it or what's the most the stuff you need to be you know easily accessible but yeah yeah no it's uh yeah the inreach is a great uh like it's a great tool right and then i just wrote a note down like hey make sure mine's up to date <laughs> um yeah because you're right we all need that reminder even though i've got it on my gear list it's like yeah but i gotta update it uh, or look for that. But yeah, it's like the first aid kit is meant to, in my opinion, it's meant to, uh, you know, stabilize, potentially save somebody's, you know, life from a very life-threatening thing. Like, like I said, a gunshot wound, like if I can pack it, uh, and, and just stabilize the person, but no, you know, depending on what that injury is, you're, you're, you're going to either walk out on your own, right? So your ambulatory, your buddies are going to get you out, or you're going to have to call for, for some kind of rescue. Um, but yeah, you're not going to do surgery. You're not going to, this isn't some primitive living Robinson Crusoe. Like, you know, I have no help that's ever going to come to me in the next six months. It's, it, it's literally just meant to, you know, save somebody's life in a, just a really bad situation that, that could occur based on whatever you're doing and then just stabilize that person. But, but the, for the vast majority of time, it's just cuts, sprains, bruises, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, some diarrhea, diarrhea always got to work its way in there somewhere, maybe an allergy. Like those are the things I don't think people often consider, um, that that's almost always going to be, you know, what, what's going to, at a minimum, it's just going to make somebody's trip miserable. Yeah. Uh, if they can't treat that, uh, as opposed to being life-threatening. Yep. No, I, I, I like the I like the the thought process on it and the probability, not just carrying everything because because you, you can sort of deal and thinking of every scenario. You gotta gotta risk assess it, like we were we were talking. So, yeah. um, when, when you were and again, I'm I'm referring to this this one video that you had where you were talking about the things you keep on you, and you know it's definitely more realistic to me now where I'm going to be doing a spot and stock style hunt where you're not, you're most likely not going to be carrying your full kit with you when you go on this stock and being able to have those essentials on you. And you'd broke it down really good in that video. So people can definitely check that out on your Instagram to see how you kind of laid everything out. But I want to get, have you talk about it briefly, you know, looking at starting at what's on you and, and your kit that always stays with you. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's a military concept or, I mean, that's certainly where I learned it and taught it, which was, you know, essentially these levels of, of equipment, um, first line equipment being what's on your body. So I consider, you know, my clothing, my first line of defense from the elements. That's why we wear it. Right. Um, we're not running around naked with loincloths. So, 
you know, my, my clothing selection is an important part and what I'm wearing just in whatever scenario, but then that gear that's on my body is gear that I put on when I leave the tent, say the morning and I don't take it off my body, uh, until I get back in the tent. So those are like really, uh, you know, critical pieces of gear that listen, if I become separated from everything else, uh, I've literally got the bare essentials to, uh, you know, uh, communicate, um, take care of anything, you know, minor that I've got going on and, you know, a, the ability to say, construct a shelter. Now, what people don't talk about when they say that is the, the knowledge that goes with that. So it's like, listen, I've got a couple bare minimum things, but I know that with that, I can build a shelter with it, right? Or I can build a fire or I can procure water or I can, you know, treat a sprained ankle. Um, but that first line equipment is like the stuff that I absolutely do not ever want to become disattached from. So when I go on the stock, that goes with me. When I go get water, that goes with me. When I go to the glassy knob or I go, go to relieve myself, that goes with me. Um, and then you have second line gear. So second line gear is supplemental to the first, but it adds more capability. So if it's cold out and you're going to drop a thousand feet to go after a buck, you're not going to go down wearing your puffy jacket. But if you become separated from the group and can't get back to your pack or can't get back to camp, uh, and a snow squall rolls in, you may want to bring your puffy jacket. Well, that puffy jacket would be part of your second line gear. So maybe that goes in a little stocking pack, right? Something like that. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what else, you know, maybe there's a little more food. Uh, maybe there's a water bottle, yeah. those kind of things go in second line gear. And then third line gear is what I'll go so far as to call it luxuries. So it's your camp stove, it's your tent, it's all the extra food you've got, it's your sleeping bag. Now, mind you, all these can shift a little bit depending on experience and environment. So time of year and environment. Yep. But listen, if I become separate, if I drop my pack, and go on a stock and can never find that pack again, that I am not going, oh my God, I'm going to die because everything I needed was in that pack. I've got at least enough on my first line. Maybe I've got some supplemental stuff in my second line to ride it out again, based on some experience, based on my training. I'd love to have my sleeping bag tonight, but I can build a fire. I can put a, uh, a little tarp up or I can build a lean to. I can get in there. I can procure some water. I'm going to be just fine, right? So it's not luxury. It's not like you're having fun. It's going to be a great story later. Um, but if you think about it tiered like that, then you start to put different gear in different places. And so the inReach, I think, is a perfect example. The inReach Mini is on my first line gear. It's in my binar harness. I don't want to be separated from that. So no matter what I do, I can communicate. I can hit SOS. I can say, hey, like, you know, my buddy's back at camp or the float plane base or whatever. It's like, I'm not dead. I'm here. Here's my grid coordinates, whatever the case may be. Um, and it's not going to, it's not going to blow up into some big thing. Cause it's like, at least I have that, that line of communication, right? If I have a puffy jacket or a rain jacket, I can squirrel under a bush. I can, you know, dig in under a bunch of pine needles. I can, I can ride out the night. It's not going to be, you know, terrible kind of thing. And then you start to pack differently because of that. And then you modify that with the same mindset, but you modify that 
So an early season trip, say chasing antelope or, or early season mule deer is going to be different than a late season rifle hunt. Yeah. Um, right. That gear is going to change, but the mindset and that, that, uh, uh, the way you approach that's going to stay the same. And again, I think I'm glad you explained it that way because I, I believe in it in the way that you've taught me and I've listened is like, it's, it's about the concepts and under the staying the concepts more than the specific gear that, Absolutely. you know, and being able to understand what you need. Like, you know, for, if you're doing a high country mule deer hunt, you know, water is going to be important if it's hot and you're in the sun, you're waiting out this buck, you know, that, you know, mm-hmm. things like that, or maybe an extra uh, bar of food and, and rain gear because there could be a storm that comes in. But, you know, it, it may not be as, yeah, it, like you said, it's not going to be as important to have a sleeping pad or like you can get by without those types of things. Um, right. And, you know, but depending on the time of year and things that can all, all change. Yeah. And, and listen, I believe me, I get it because I'm a gear guy, right? Yeah. I mean, it's what I do for my job. It's what I've done in the past. Like I'm a gear guy. I love gear. If you go to my barn, it's like full of gear. <laughs> and so we all, we all get focused on the actual gear and like, what, like, what exactly are you using? Like what exact knife are you using? What exact, you know, GPS unit are you using? It's like, I get that. I understand that. But what I think is, is the, is the best way to approach this and start is why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you bringing a signaling device? Why do you have it on your first line gear? Not, not the exact piece, but like what is on your first line gear? Okay. You've got a fixed blade knife. Why do you carry that? Not what's the fixed blade knife. Yeah. The question should be why. And then eventually you can get to, okay, well, what it, what, you know, what is that particular piece of kit yep. or, you know, what, what is the sleeping pad you bring and why is that? Or what is the tent you bring or the shelter and why is that? I think those are questions that actually lead to learning and understanding as opposed to just you know, us all being the gear whores and going, Oh dude, you got the latest, whatever. Um, that might not work for you based on my why, because you may be going someplace different with different partners and different capabilities and approaching it different. If I'm hunting from a camp, a fixed camp or the back of my truck, and you're on a bivy hunt, we have a different why we're bringing stuff and what that stuff is. And so, but if you understand the why, then you go, okay, I get why you're doing that now. I understand your concept. I understand your train of thought. And now I can modify that to meet my needs, to suit my needs, to suit, you know, our partner, you know, my partner's needs with this, with this group dynamic I have. Um, and so it's just, it's just a different way of thinking. If, if somebody asks me a question, which I, you know, I get quite a few, like I'm sure you do. Um, people will ask me a question. I almost always ask them three to five questions back. Yeah, because I need I need context. If I really care about answering their question, I need context to give them the right answer. Um, and so it sounds odd that well, wait a second. I asked you the question. Why are you asking me back? It's like well, because like, I don't know. I I don't know enough information to provide you a meaningful answer. And if we're going to have this exchange, I'd rather it be meaningful as opposed to just me going, yeah, buy this, yeah, or buy my shit, or you know, try that, or what you got is dumb. It's like, no, no, that, that's not helping anybody, you know? So. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like whenever, as you know, when I get a message about something, typically I take quite a while to respond because, but when I do respond, it's going to be, it's going to be at length, yeah. um, you know, with the, like I said, questions that come back. Cause I, I don't want to just like, especially gear questions. I mean, that's the, like you said, we're all gear whores, it seems like. And, and especially, if, you know, if I would post something that's a, a new piece of gear you see in there, but like, Oh, you know, what's okay. Well, here's this, you know, 
what type of what is that the right pack for me? What type of hunting you doing? What what's this going through? Okay, this is what I've found is you know good for this specific application, not for all. It's it's such it's so much more than you know one question answer. Yeah. I mean, if I'm if I'm hunting from a tree stand and you're saddle hunting and I ask you about your gear, yeah, and you don't ask me how I'm going to use it, like I'm going to take your saddle gear and wear it in a tree stand, and it's not going to work as good <laughs> no. for a ground blind. But, but, but your whitetail hunting, it's like, yeah, but I'm, it's very specific what I'm doing, where I'm doing it, how I'm doing it. And that's why I'm using this certain bit of kit or this certain piece of gear, right. Or this certain layer of clothing. Um, and so I think if we do that over and over that, that's where the true learning is going to come in. Um, cause you know, it, it, I mean, I know, you know, this, you must know this, but you know, the, the, the volume of people that have gotten into hunting just in the last year, year and a half with the virus is awesome to see, right? For a lot of reasons. Um, but unfortunately, uh, I think there we can be so enthusiastic that, again, we don't want to start slow. We want to go to like the most aspirational thing that we're seeing on the cover of the magazine or in the latest video on what, you know, whatever television show. Um and you're really missing out on like a pretty amazing journey. Um, and I think people are, like I said, they're either going to quit and get bored of it or they're going to get hurt or they're, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, it took me 30 some years to get to where I am. Yeah. Like, it's not like I did this overnight. And you're still you know? learning. I, I just learned something today from a buddy of mine who responded to some uh, email and I'm like, hell, I never I never thought of that or heard of that. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, you have to be open to that learning. Like this is a, you know, a lifelong deal for sure. If you want to get good at it, yeah. I, I say, if you want to be a student of the game, like if you want to be a student of the game and really like study it and learn it and get good at it and capable and competent to be able to go do the float hunter, wherever it is like that to me, that's the approach that we should all be taking. That's the approach that I took. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm just trying to pass that, that, that on. Yeah. And so with, with that being said, I definitely appreciate, I know a lot of others do that you're sharing that knowledge now through your, well, through podcasts like this, but through your own platform of, and just, I mean, I, I look forward to your, your videos on Instagram and learn something from all I have, I actually have it pulled up here in front of me. I have an entire Google docs full of things that <laughs> I learned that I can pull up on my phone and just jot down notes and say, Oh, I want to learn more about this, or I want to, you know, challenge myself and, and test this out or whatever. And I, man, I just, it, it's really great. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, it, I was, uh, I did it begrudgingly. I'm not going to lie. Um, oh, I know you did. <laughs> and, and, then, and then when I actually did it, I almost feel like I'm selfish because I, I truly feel like I'm getting more. I feel like I'm getting a lot out of it. I, I don't know if I'm getting more out of it than somebody else, but uh, I'm enjoying it. Right. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm taking it. I'm taking it several levels beyond where it is now. I'm having some problem with IGTV, believe it or not. I can't post videos right now, but, um, but I've got a website that's going to be coming out here real quick. Like if anybody's listening to this, knows how to fix IGTV, please have them reach out to me. But yeah, um, and Instagram won't respond. Like, you know, it's absolutely, you never no, get it's absolutely insane. Like the, the only thing I, I can do at this point is if it continues is maybe just start another page. But, but yeah, I got a uh, knowledge from storms.com is going to be launching here. Hopefully by the end of this month, uh, it, it's all just outdoor education, just like what we've been talking about. 
but I can go more long form. I've got articles. I've got links to podcasts like this. Um, I've got uh, uh, videos that I that I filmed um, that link to a YouTube channel now. That's it's that's actually live right now. I just haven't said anything about it. Um, and, and just trying to elevate my game and be more professional, uh, just in the way that I I convey information. Um, you know, I talked to you about this a while ago. I looked at your website. I really liked uh, kind of what you were doing, which which made me go the pro route and not try to do it myself because we all have to know our our limitations, and that's yep. definitely definitely one of mine. Uh, but it, it's been cool, man. And and uh, listen, if I can just help somebody have a good time and be safe or whatever. It doesn't matter if it's a boy scout or, you know, a backcountry hunter, or, you know, somebody going skiing, whatever it is. Uh, I just like teaching. So, um, that, that's kind of been the fun part for me. Yeah, no, I, that, that's awesome. And I'm glad to, to see, you know, cause the one thing that, that limitation of just Instagram is that the videos get lost in your feed and there's no yep. way of, you know, being able to search for it or be able. Yep. And I mean, yep. I know you build it in a way that seems like, you know, you started at the basics and started going more in depth as you go and building that knowledge base, almost like it'd be a course. And, yep. and I think that's, that's super helpful, but I'm excited to see, you know, and, and, and for anyone that's listening, you know, John and I talked quite a bit when you first started with it and you really didn't want to, you don't love putting yourself <laughs> out there you and everything. But I, I think, I think more people appreciate it than, than, you know, and you, maybe you're starting to, to see that now, but. Yeah. I said that, uh, so because it's my platform, I reserve the right to quit whenever I want. So I, that keeps that like that little relief valve like makes me feel good sometimes. But I was like, <laughs> listen, if I, I said I was going to do it for a year during during the virus, I didn't know it last a year, right? But I said I'm going to do it for a year, and if I like it, and I'm finding some enjoyment or learning something, and the engagement is good, and somebody the people watching it or listening or reading feel that there's some value, then I'll try to elevate my game and continue to do it. And so we're kind of coming to that. I mean, it's been over a year now, but it's just taken me a while to kind of build everything in place because I either have to learn how to do it or find somebody, hire somebody who can help me do it. Um, but I'm super stoked, man, to be part of the conversation now, I guess, you know, and I, like I told you when you started, like, I love what you're doing because, you know, I'm an Ohio boy. All uh, right. I'm one of the East East guys that, that eventually came West. And, you know, I, I know what that learning curve can be and how daunting it can be. Um, and it certainly is, but it doesn't have to be nearly as bad as kind of we all think. And you've been a great example of like kind of the crawl, walk, run phase of that. And now you're going like, like you said, high elevation mule deer, right? You've been to Alaska, like you're, you're checking those boxes, but you didn't start there on, on day one, year one. No, no, it's exactly. And and yeah, I just, I, I think when putting that knowledge out there, like you've, you've learned so much over the years through experience and more so like it, it's different than what I'm doing, but similar, you know, you're putting it out there. But for me, I'm kind of sharing as the evolution as I'm learning and you are still learning obviously too, but yeah, you've gained all this experience. That's something that, you know, that I can't provide or, you know, others can't that I think is just, is really, really valuable. Well, and you know, I, I don't really, I don't want it to be about me. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm like, obviously I'm the, the face of it right now, but I don't want it to be about me. 
I want it to be about the people that are learning and, and moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I talk about experiences I had or where I got that knowledge or, you know, where I learned that lesson or whatever the case may be. But I'm not out there like I don't want to share. I like I don't think I'm the best hunter in the world by any means, but I'm a guy that can go out there no matter where it is and live and survive and and have a good time. And so again, I think if if you can do that, then the success in the hunting will eventually happen. But I don't care how good you are at e-scouting, if you can't hike there, feed yourself, set up a tent and navigate, you're never going to get there and kill an elk or a mule deer or whatever else it is. And sometimes we concentrate so much on the prize that we kind of lose sight of what it takes to actually get there and kind of execute on that. Right. And, um, and so that's what I'm trying to do. And, uh, you know, that's why I say there's no off season. It's like, no matter what it is, we could be training to do whatever. Um, so, and and no uh, matter how little it is, you know, every time you do something, it's just moving that needle in the right direction. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, I, like I've been doing this a long time. I taught professionally for a long time. Uh, and I still literally do this every year, every day I'm out there training, I'm learning, I'm trying, I'm testing, I'm failing, and then I'm trying to get better from that. Um, yeah. So it's cause it's, it's awesome. It's a lifestyle. It's fun. Right. Yeah. And oh, m- most definitely. And just in case your um, your website is not live when this goes, still go over to knowledgefromstorms.com and sign up for the email list. Then you'll know. Yeah, so because, there's a landing there's a landing page I got up. Yeah, yeah. I I signed up for that the other day. Oh, um, thanks. I, yeah, I saw it there, and uh, I was excited that that you had that up. So I'm excited, man. Like it, it, <laughs> I tell you, I, I, I'm a little biased, of course, but I think it is a badass looking website. Oh. Um, and it's it's taken me a while to kind of work with this team that I got to help build it, but I'm super stoked at what they've done. So, uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Another side project. Yeah. How about (laughs) it? Just like, just like you, right. I mean, I'm sure it starts to become overwhelming, but oh yeah, definitely. That's why you got to love it. That's why you got to love it. (laughs) hundred percent. I, I say it all the time. You do anything in this type of space as a side project, you better love it. And it can't be about the money because Right. That is not you. This there's yeah. a lot better ways to make money. Go buy real estate. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. If somebody wants to make money, I'd I'd recommend they look elsewhere. But but yeah, yeah that but that's that's not the point. Yeah, the the point for me is just to to teach because that's what I like doing. So yeah, well, awesome. And uh, then also, hopefully your IGTV gets uh, fixed. But Jay Barclow over on yeah Jay, Jay Barclow. So you know, if I have to change it somehow, I'll just go to Knowledge from Storms because uh, I'm sure that's not on IG yet. But uh, we'll get it fixed. I, I, hopefully, enough people hear this that somebody can figure it out. And uh, you know, I'm long-winded, Bo. Right? We've already gone longer than you wanted, but uh, IGTV just kind of limits it. So the cool thing is when I, you know, these YouTube videos, you know, I I can I can make them as long or as short as I want. Yep. They can live there forever. You can search them. So I'll continue to add to those um, as things go on. And I got some really uh, I'll just say I got some really interesting ideas for this winter that I can't wait to, to execute on. And I wanted to do it this last winter and I just didn't have all the pieces and parts in place as far as like videographers and stuff like that. But, yeah. uh, hopefully I can, I can bring another level 
to people's knowledge. And also, I mean, the intent isn't to entertain, but who doesn't like to see people suffer? Oh, that's entertaining yeah. in and of itself, right? So, yep. I, I, hopefully you just get in some cold water again. I haven't seen you freezing quite a while. You, oh yeah, I, that's you a talked given. me well, to do it, so I, ha- yeah, I have to. No, I, I want to see it again. <laughs> you're one of the first. No, we'll definitely do that. But there's, there, I think there's a lot of uh, other cool things. Yeah, that, that could, there's really some good learning and training to be done there. But uh, awesome. yeah, so we'll we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, John. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Bo. Thanks seriously for uh, inviting me. It was just fun to catch up, man. For for an hour and a half. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.